All right, well, thank you, and good afternoon. 4.06 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. So I was listening to President Biden this morning. He came out, or it was this afternoon, I guess. He came out and he gave his uh, This Means uh, War speech about Ukraine. Did you hear it? Did you hear what the president said? He had two themes. There were two pieces to this thing. First, he listed a bunch of things that the United States is now going to do to Russia. Banks are going to cut off financing and debt markets. There's going to be uh, sanctions on the oligarchs and the elites. Uh, the Nordstrom 2 pipeline, I always call it Nordstrom like the store, Nordstream 2 pipeline is going to be temporarily paused, whatever that means. Um, there's going to be defensive aid given to Ukraine. We're moving some NATO troops from other parts of Europe to the Baltic states because Putin is talking about other former Soviet republics that he's licking his chops over besides Ukraine. And um, and then the president said, we are not going to fight Russia. And I thought to myself, all of this is fighting Russia, right? I mean, whether you talk about economic sanctions, moving troops, putting uh, weapons in the hands of, of the Ukrainian military... You are fighting Russia. And moreover, if you want to stop or, or stymie Putin, you can't announce that you won't fight him to do it. I know what he means. He means it's not going to look like one of those World War II documentaries with trenches and tanks rolling over hedges. But, but I mean, we, we gotta, st- we gotta either do something that we mean to do or just stay out of it. And then the second part of the speech was where he sort of scolded Putin and said, this is not justified, and you're rewriting history, and um, which is interesting, right, to hear a politician in this country scolding somebody else for rewriting history. Nobody rewrites more history than American politicians. But then he had, the, this to me was the money line in the, in the whole thing. And this is about the third or fourth time I've heard President Biden or somebody from his administration say this. He said, you need to know, speaking to we, the American people now, not Putin, not the Russians, speaking to the American people now, President Biden said, you need to know that uh, this is going to be hard on you. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect our economy. And, it, and, and so what he's referring to is, hey, you're going to pay more for gasoline. Now, I find this interesting. We're already paying more for gasoline. Are we going to pay more for gasoline because Vladimir Putin is having Hitler delusions about Ukraine? Or are we going to pay more for gasoline because on his first day in office, President Joe Biden canceled Keystone XL and and declared war on the American energy sector? He took over a country that was a net oil exporter and now we are into our second year of being a net oil importer. And by the way, we get a lot of oil from Russia. So if Vladimir Putin starts manipulating markets, yes, you will pay more at the pump. But whose fault is that? Is that Putin's fault or is that Joe Biden's fault? Can Joe Biden get away with basically saying... On my watch, we might have 5 or $6 gasoline, but you can't be mad at me. It's that Putin guy. It's that Ukraine war. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555.
What would you do? How would you fix what's going on right now? And and maybe your response to that is, I, I, I wouldn't do anything, Jack. I don't think this is our fight. And that's fine. That's a good answer. If that's your answer, okay. What would you do if you were going to do something about what's going on? I really don't think your idea, my idea, is going to be any worse than the so-called experts that I've been hearing all day today. So if you if you said, well, if I was president, I'd stop Putin by doing blank, or I'd show Putin we mean business by doing blank, what would you do? 210-599-5555. I mean, I, I'm not an expert on this, but... It seems to me like Putin has just read the room. You know, he he sees a moment. Um, it, he didn't. He's not just seeing it now. He saw it with the last several years in this country. He saw it with um, the, uh, if you will, the the uh, manipulation of our last election. He saw it with um, the exit, the disastrous exit from Afghanistan. He looks and he sees weakness in other Western capitals. Look at what's happening in Canada. This is not a moment with great leadership in the West. There's not a Churchill or a Reagan or a Thatcher in the West. So he's just doing things that he's always wanted to do, getting the band back together again, and he, he's read the room. He thinks this is a good time to do it. Two years ago today... Joe Biden was a candidate among many Democratic candidates. And he was struggling. He had been creamed in Iowa and New Hampshire. It looked like Pete Buttigieg might be the Democratic nominee, or maybe Elizabeth Warren. And Joe Biden said on a debate stage, Vladimir Putin doesn't want me to be president. He doesn't want me to be our party's nominee. And if you wonder why, it's because I'm the only person in this field who's ever gone toe-to-toe with him. So his argument for being president was, I've dealt with Putin and none of these other people ever have. Does that look like a good argument today? What do you think about that? And, you know, we don't really elect or select presidents on foreign policy. We haven't for a long time. Let's let's not kid ourselves. We We go through phases where we care about it, because the world makes us care about it. But the networks spend more time asking these candidates what their favorite chicken wings are, or who would you like to have a beer with, or who'd be fun to ride in an elevator with, or whose wife do you like best. We, we have trivialized the role and the office of the presidency in the way we select and elect them. It's zingers and quips and one-liners. and There's a place for that. I mean, candidates have always had good jokes and one-liners. But we really don't elect presidents on their foreign policy acumen or even having a foreign policy. For crying out loud, rock stars have foreign policies. Cardi B has a foreign policy. But not all our presidential candidates do. I keep thinking about 10 years ago, it's President Obama running for re-election against Mitt Romney. They, they have a debate where... Um, President Obama zinged Mitt Romney 
for his obsession with his fixation on Russia as an adversary. He said the 80s called Governor Romney and they want their foreign policy back. Let me let me play you what Mitt Romney was actually saying. And I know a lot of you don't like Mitt Romney anymore, and I understand why. But Mitt Romney, 10 years ago, sounds like a guy making a lot of sense about Putin today. Take a listen to this. Cut number four. First of all, Russia, I indicated, is a geopolitical foe. Not a, number not, one. Excuse me. It's a geopolitical foe. And I said in the same in the same paragraph, I said, and Iran is the greatest national security threat we face. Russia does continue to battle us in the U.N. time and time again. I have clear eyes on this. I'm not going to wear rose colored glasses when it comes to Russia or Mr. Putin. And I'm certainly not going to say to him, I'll give him more flexibility after the election. After the election, he'll get more backbone. So. Of course, we can't let that guy be president because he put a dog on the roof. But here's my point. Here's my point. We're getting what we're getting now because we don't do the job interview right. What's happening now is a big part of being president. And there's a lot of discretion for a president in foreign policy. The Constitution leaves that wide open to the president. And we have so trivialized the, the selection of presidents that zingers, oh, Obama really got him. What a great, what a great zinger. <laughs> we don't, we're not hiring people the right way. If you were hiring somebody for your company, you'd ask the relevant questions. We're not asking the relevant questions. And so you get what we get today, which is a 79 year old man squinting at the teleprompter, reading a speech that he appears to be here, seeing for the first time telling the entire world the intentions of the most powerful country in the world. And it was just not a good look. You might say, well, I don't want Romney to be president either. That's fine. But this is what we get when we don't ask the right job interview questions. So what would you do if you were trying to fix this? And if your answer is, again, I don't think we need to fix it, it's none of our business, I want to hear that. But what would you do that's different or more or they haven't thought of if we put you in charge of this? 210-599-5555. And when the higher gas prices come, and they will, you're going to be told by not only the Biden administration but by the media, well, those are Ukraine prices, those are Putin prices. Are you going to believe that? Are you good with that? Is it going to feel like, well, we all got to do our part, so okay, $6 a gallon. I'll roll up my sleeves. I'll be like Rosie the Riveter. Okay, fine. Bring it on, Putin. I just won't drive as much. At least under Trump, Putin couldn't become the gas station and the natural gas station for Europe. And now they are. They're the only game in town for those countries. And if you want to know why there's not going to be unity and solidarity, and, and Putin knows this, that's why. But how rich that the president is going to say now, hey, when the gas prices go up, it's because we're defending freedom. Are you buying that? Is that working for you? <laughs> I didn't mean to sound like, I didn't mean to sound like Dr. Phil. Is that working for you? 210-599-5555. Don't forget that there's a long history of wars and international crises 
getting politicians out of trouble. Several of our wars started that way. Spanish-American wars started that way. There's a long tradition of pulling everybody together, quelling the opposition, papering over other failures on the home front by starting a war or joining one or declaring something as a crisis. And don't get me wrong, I, Putin is, Putin's a monster, okay? But this whole let's hang the gas prices on his moves in Ukraine I'm not going there. 210-599-5555. We've talked a lot about um, what's going on in Canada. And you may wonder why. Like, why is that such a big topic? And I thought I would point out why I think, on our show at least, I can't speak for other hosts and other channels and what have you, Canada is, and, and I can say this having grown up in the Northeast, we used to go over to Canada, like you'd visit a neighboring state. Was When I was a kid, you could drive into Canada and just show your driver's license. You didn't a passport or anything. Sometimes they didn't even ask to see it. They would just wave American license-plated cars right through. My friends and I would drive up to Burlington, Vermont, and then on up into Montreal. But Canada is very similar to the United States. Canada's story started just like ours did. They were, they were, they were a colony, too. At one point, we even thought when we were fighting for our independence from the British, we had ideas about taking Canada away from them, too. We were taking away the 13 American colonies. We tried to take Canada. We sent Benedict Arnold. That was his big assignment before he became a traitor. But anyway, the reason I think it's important to talk about Canada right now is because it shows why this country is so exceptional. Yes, they're very different. They're very similar to us. They speak the same language. They have the same fast food restaurants. Uh, they play and watch the same sports. We are right to think of them as our friends and neighbors, but it's really interesting to watch how the Canadian people are just rolling over. I mean, trucking convoy protesters aside you don't see any great movement to throw justin trudeau out of office they could do it by the way they don't have to wait for an election with their parliamentary process they could they could declare a no confidence vote he could be gone this week but there's no talk about that there's no serious talk about whether what he's doing is constitutional under their constitution i mean the um uh, Canadian Charter of Rights, as it's called, grants a lot of the same rights to Canadians that we enjoy here. But the difference is that Canada, like almost every country on earth, gives its people, its government delegates or gives its people rights. So its rights are really permission slips. And our Constitution doesn't do that. Our Constitution doesn't grant you a right it acknowledges that you already have the right. You were born with it. That's why they're called God-given or natural rights. So Canada is the rest of the world, and the rest of the world is very different. And you're seeing that right now. Obedience is a big thing in other countries. It's the main measuring stick of good citizenship. 
how obedient you are says everything about whether you're a good Frenchman or a good Japanese citizen. But we don't use that as a measuring stick in this country. We don't say, he's a great American, he's really compliant. So they have a lot of the same mores and values, but this is an exceptional country. And talking about Canada, I think, points that out. It's like a contrast thing. That's why I like to bring it up. That's why we talk about it on this show, if you've wondered. 210-599-5555. All right, so uh, the president has rolled out the punishment for Putin. What do you think? What would you do? How would you fix it if it was up to you? Angel is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hello. Good afternoon. Hello. Yes, sir. Hi. Yes. Uh, I My take on it is that Biden has been dragging this out about Ukraine and uh, Russia. It's because he wanted to see if, if he was going to be able to control the inflation. But, you know, he can't. So now he's going to go ahead and use this and telling everybody, well, you know, that inflation thing, that's because of Russia and Ukraine. It's not because of all of the things that I've done mm-hmm. or haven't done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you might be right because, you know, Biden was vice president under Obama when Putin took uh, Crimea. And he did it the same way that he's taking Ukraine. And they didn't give a big speech about how you're going to feel pain and look out, brace yourself because the economy was going pretty good and they didn't they didn't want to uh you know throw a wrench into it in 2014 but see now as you point out this gives them a convenient no matter how high gas prices go they're going to say those are putin prices correct instead of biden's inflation prices but the, the question if these journalists were doing their job the question they'd be asking him well, I guess in fairness, he didn't take any questions today. But the question they'd be asking him is, uh, since you could foresee a year ago, you told us that you were Putin's worst nightmare. So I assume you talk, you think about him a lot. And you're very aware of him. Why didn't you put this country in a strong energy independence position so that then you could turn up the heat on a guy like Putin? Because if you did that, then you could say, hey, go ahead and turn off your spigots. We don't need him. And he's been saying for weeks, yes, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. And he doesn't put the sanctions in because yeah. he's been wanting to drag it out as long as yeah. he could. I think he might be right. I think that's a good yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, no, I appreciate the call. Thank you. I think I, I agree with you. Early voting, second week. And as we uh, catch up with candidates in the key races, we welcome back to our show Republican gubernatorial candidate and retired Lieutenant Colonel Alan West on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Colonel, it's good to have you back. Good afternoon to you. It is good to be with you, Jack, and greetings from Paris, Texas. I'm going to ask you kind of a, this is a little bit of an oddball question, but bear with me, because I've had a few people say this to me, and I think it's a compliment, but I don't know how you'll take it. Uh, but I've had people say to me, you know, I, I, I like Alan West, I like Don Huffines, they're saying a lot of the same things, but I feel like they're splitting the vote, and I think they should consolidate or one should get behind the other. Um, 
what is your reaction to that? Well, I don't think we're splitting the vote. I think that one of the great things about living in the United States of America is that we had a free market economy, and that means that we give people choices. And the great thing is that you have the choices of uh, different candidates. If you believe that uh, Governor Greg Abbott needs to uh, be replaced, and when you look at his record, especially here, the last uh, couple of legislative sessions, it's been pretty appalling. And what is happening on our border is even more disconcerting. So I think that it's a great opportunity for people to go out and discern who they believe will be the best person to stand up and defend the Texas Republic. I guess the thinking would be if you're trying to create a runoff, it's easier if there's one sort of main or, or principal alternative, right? Yeah, but, I mean, that's one of the things about conservatives. We believe that anyone should be able to go out there and vote, and we don't look at uh, any you know, singular mechanism that's going to control who should be able to go out and vote. And, and I think mm. that right now, when you look at the position that we're in, we have a, a great opportunity to be in a runoff with the governor. And we've been going across this state, taking our message to people, and the response has been absolutely incredible. Let me ask you about, um, you've said something interesting about the border. Obviously, all of uh, Abbott's opponents are attacking him uh, on the border, but you've said specifically with your military background, I don't think they understand what it means to deploy the Texas National Guard. So tell me what you mean by that. Well, I don't. And the fact that you just had last week one of the big national stories in the Army Times and Military.com is that the Texas National Guard is looking to unionize because uh, the deplorable conditions. They have been uh, sent down there without a, the right mission, task, and purpose, not even the right rules of engagement. You can't tell people not to fire back if they're being fired upon. But the fact that they're not being paid on time and they're on state active duty orders, which means that if they are involved in some mishap, they uh, have to file for workman's compensation. So I think that we rush to failure. Another thing is that you have to create a border control zone and to be able to give them that right mission and task and purpose instead of them just sitting down there and being observers who ended up just uh, reporting, hey, I got a bunch of illegals here. The Border Patrol comes, pick them up. The Border Patrol then takes them to a non-governmental organization that gives them taxpayer-funded money, $1,300, $1,400, and puts them on a bus or a plane and disperses them out uh, throughout Texas and the United States of America. So we have got to truly have a National Guard that has the backing of the governor and not uh, – being in these deplorable conditions and can do what is necessary to secure our border, which we have the constitutional right to be able to do. Mm -hmm. um, it, does it seem to you that there really wasn't a plan, that this was kind of a windsock decision? Hey, it looks like people are getting, uh, you know, concerned. I got to look like I'm doing something. So this will be a popular, visible thing I can do. But as you just described, there's not really a logic to their being there no there's not and and you can listen to some of the interviews that some of their reports and the, the guard members are saying they're just down there's a political optic and they feel that they're being used and when you look i've been on many different deployments to include you know into combat zones and one of the first things that you do is you set a logistical support base and then you bring your troops in well that wasn't done and one of the key elements, uh, principles of war, we call it, is unity of command and unity of effort. But what has happened is that you're just going out there and involuntarily grabbing uh, National Guard members and throwing them down there. They're not deploying part of their, you know, organic units, and so they don't have that chain of command. And 
sadly, we've seen a lot of our Texas National Guard since December the 16th commit suicide because they don't feel that they're being heard and they feel that they're in a horrible situation. Talking with retired Lieutenant Colonel uh, Alan West, one of the Republican candidates for governor on KTSA. Um, let me ask you about the, the governor's COVID response, um, because, again, that's really fluctuated a lot from the beginning of the yeah. pandemic to now. A, a cynic would say, because he's looked at poll numbers or he's been concerned about being primaried for the first time in his career, what would you have done in March of 2020 as governor that would have looked different in the state of Texas? Well, very first thing, no elected, no elected official has the enumerated power to decide who or what is essential. Uh, and I would not have made decisions that would have caused 2.7 million Texans to lose their jobs and 10,000 small businesses to, to be bankrupt, closed, shut down, never coming back. And so no, uh, no emergency suspends people's constitutional rights. And the other thing is that the governor, as per the Texas State Constitution, after 30 days, you're supposed to go back to the legislature. That's something that he never did. The most important thing is that you're not supposed to try to protect people's public health. You're supposed to protect their rights. And you want to provide the information for Texans to be able to make the best possible decisions for their health and make sure that they know the treatments, protocols, and therapies that they can have access to and that could be made available to them. But the fact that we still have vaccine mandates in Texas, the fact that we still have hospitals that are denying certain treatments to people and then not even releasing them so that they can go and get the treatments that they want, that's disgusting and that's disconcerting. should not be happening here in Texas. Mm-hmm. Is there a governor that you watched in 2020 and said, he or she, now that's, what, that's the way to do it, that's what I would have done? Is there somebody out there you would name? Well, I mean, you look at Ron DeSantis, of course. You look at Christy Noem and several others that did a lot. Pete Ricketts up in uh, in Nebraska. But the most important thing is if you if you understand the Constitution, you don't need to look at anyone else. You just do what's right, and you follow leadership one-on-one, which is something that I learned back in the United States military after 22 years of service. Yeah. Um, one thing I've noticed about you, and again, this is just my impression, is you don't really dabble much in, like, culture war issues. Like, you're talking about enumerated powers, you're talking about the border, you're talking about meat and potatoes, executive functions of government. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of Republicans get pulled into the weeds about what I would call culture war issues, or, or I don't know, maybe you'd even say, like, emotional issues that are not really germane to limited government is that am i reading you right on that well i think that once again you know when i look at the united states constitution in article one section eight it lists the 18 things that the government is supposed to be involved in uh and it says in the 10th amendment all of those powers not delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states and to the people and so i think that we need to get government back in, in this constitutional box and understand what they're supposed to be doing, which, number one, is protecting life, liberty, property, pursuit of happiness. Uh, And I do believe that we have to get involved in cultural issues. When I look at this cultural Marxism, this social-emotional learning, things of this nature, we should not have the indoctrination of our children. We should be educating our children, especially in Texas, where we're 46 or 47 out of 50 in education. Mm Mm-hmm. Are you encouraged by the phenomenon of parents going to school board meetings and speaking out? And I have to say, I find it so incredibly ironic that the reason that's happening is because of the shutting down of the schools and the distance learning. It opens so many eyes. It revealed lesson plans. 
so many parents who just had never really known what was being taught. Jack, that is the only positive thing that came out of this whole COVID issue was that parents were in the house, kids were in the house, and parents finally saw what was going on. And I've always said the most important elected position in the United States of America is school board, but the election that has the least amount of voter participation are school board elections. And so I was very proud when the folks over in Carroll ISD in South Lake, uh, Texas, asked me to come over and help them to establish the South Lake Families Pact because they want to fight back against the Cultural Competency Action Plan, which is a precursor to to, uh, this uh, CRT. And I got the chance to go down to the Cyfair School District. And they have flipped three seats in uh, South Lake. We're looking at a fourth seat. Cyfair, the third largest in the state of Texas, they flipped three seats. I was just uh, Sunday with the families for Frisco. They stood up a a families pack that they want to win more of these school board races. They're looking at three seats to flip in May. So I do see what happened in Virginia. We can replicate that throughout the entire United States of America, but I'm so proud of folks in Texas and parents stepping up yeah. and challenging these folks at school board. Yeah, I think it's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it isn't even something that has to be coordinated as much as it's just coming from the bottom up. But um, yeah. if I had a nickel, Colonel West, for every time a caller has said, I'm not happy with Abbott, or I I didn't like this, I didn't like that, but I'm worried that if we don't renominate him, all this out-of-state money will come in and get behind Beto, and we'll wind up with uh, you know a Gavin Newsom type governor. What is your answer to conservatives who are afraid to peel away from the Abbott brand? Well, that's the normal thing that the GOP establishment tries to tell you, that you have to vote for us, we have to moderate our message, or else we'll end up losing to the progressive socialist left. But that message is the reason why we had Barack Obama for two terms. And, you know, when you look at uh, President Trump, he stood up against the left. So we've already ran polling against uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke, and we actually outperformed Governor Abbott uh, in in a contest head-to-head with Mr. O'Rourke. And think about this. You know, I don't think the progressive socialist left in Texas wants to go up against, and and I hate to say this because I don't like identity politics, but a guy that was born in a blacks-only hospital 61 years ago, there's a strong black conservative that uh, will not allow them to be able to throw the racist, white supremacist card out there because I love this country, and I want to defend this country. I want to defend the great state of Texas. So we take all of that uh, handicap away from them, and we just go to the issues. Colonel, always good to have you. I hope you'll come back again, and thanks for the time today. Anytime, Jack. Thank you, and God bless. Every time we've had Alan West on the show, and we were having him on back when he still lived in Florida, every time we have Alan West on this show, people will say to me, somebody will say to me, but I really like him. I like everything he says. I bet a lot of people heard that interview and said, I can't argue with any of that. And then they will vote for Greg Abbott uh, when they go to vote in the primary. Now, He's going to say, no, we've got polling, and Don Huffine said that too. But look, what is it about that, I want to be safe, I don't want to rock the boat? Is that what it is? I, and I don't even believe, I'm not even going to blame the, the so-called Republican establishment. Of course, their argument is you shouldn't change horses and keep the guy you know and trust, and he's got $66 gazillion in his campaign war chest. You know what I really think it is? People are dissatisfied with Greg Abbott, but they're not mad at him. To to throw your governor out of office in the primary, in your party primary, 
You've got to be furious with him. It just doesn't happen very often. You know, I can't even think of the last time it did happen. So, yeah, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, he's not, he's kind of a blow in the wind guy, or he's a little squishy on this, or I wasn't too happy about what he did with Shelley Luther or whatever, but they're not mad at him. And they look around the country, right? And, and look, I'm just, somebody has to say this. You look around the country and you see these tyrants. You see Whitmer in Michigan. You see Newsom in California, Murphy in New Jersey, Cuomo in New York. He said, well, God, we're so lucky we don't have somebody like that. You know, on his worst day, Greg Abbott was not those things during COVID. What do you think's going on there? 210-599-5555. We're asking you kind of an odd question on the JR poll today. Has cancel culture already peaked? There's a story today about Dave Chappelle and Netflix. Netflix has announced a big new deal with Dave Chappelle. He's going to do a bunch more specials for them. Remember, there was that whole controversy about his um, comedy special, The Closer. And he has this whole monologue about trans people and African-Americans and civil rights, and it's very honest. It's very thought-provoking. It's, it's really very funny, too. But remember, the, the Netflix people were like, we're, we're walking off the job. We're not, we don't even want to work here if we're carrying this guy's programming. And we've gone from that to Netflix saying, hey, we want to do a lot more with Dave Chappelle. We're going to make Dave Chappelle the face of Netflix. You know, a dam is failing as soon as it starts cracking. Structural engineers will tell you, as soon as a dam starts cracking, the dam is still there, but as soon as a dam starts cracking, that is a failing dam. I think we're seeing the cracking in the cancel culture. I'm not saying it's over. I'm saying we're seeing the beginning of the end. And the reason that's happening is primarily money. In the beginning, the cancel culture went for the lowest hanging fruit. It's easy to take the name of a guy that's been dead for 200 years off a building. There's no financial price to pay or penalty for that. It's easy to take a statue down. The statue doesn't sue you or get a lawyer. But notice the cancel culture is starting to run into people who are simply too, um, and I mean this in the economic sense, too valuable. Joe Rogan, Dave Chappelle. Turns out that these companies, and they may be very woke, they're not so woke that they want to kiss off hundreds of millions of dollars. So a dam starts to fail as soon as it starts to crack. I think we're seeing the cracking. What do you think? Whenever we have this next guest on the show, I always have to worry that we might be interrupting his afternoon workout uh, because he's giving his body a workout while we're giving your brain cells a workout. But Jed Babin from American Spectator and former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense in the Bush 41 administration. So is this pre or post workout right now? 
Oh, it's way post-workout. I'm way trying post. to work out in the morning. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to work oh. out in the morning so I can have the afternoon to nap. Very, oh, well, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad we're, instead of interrupting your workout, we're now interrupting your nap. I kind of felt like we might have interrupted Joe Biden's nap this afternoon. Um, what did you well, think of that? Not, yeah, I don't think anybody interrupted his nap very much. I mean, this is a guy who's still trying to lay off all the problems of the world on somebody else when he's causing about, I don't know, 90% of them. I mean, he's talking about he's going to try to fix everything so that Americans don't suffer the uh, you know pain at the gas pump. Uh, as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Huh? I mean, excuse yeah. me. We get we get something like, I don't know, 10 million or 15 million barrels of oil from Russia every month. That's, you know, quite a drop in the bucket. Mm. And, you know, we make most of it ourselves. We produce most ourselves. We get from South America. We get from a whole bunch of other places. But, you know, Russia is not a big supplier. We could be doing a lot better. If, well, maybe Mr. Biden shouldn't have canceled the Keystone Pipeline. Maybe mm-hmm. he shouldn't have canceled all those offshore drilling leases. I mean, all of these things he could solve with the with the stroke of a pen, but he doesn't yeah. want to do that. Yeah, it does, it does sound like they're going to retroactively blame Putin for the higher gas prices we already knew were coming. <laughs> um, so these won't be Biden prices. These will be Putin prices. Right. Um, yeah. What about the work. sanctions, though? The, the the first part of the address this afternoon was, here are our initial, here's our first offer, but we can do more if we, if we think we need to. Should he have just, should we be doing everything we're willing to do now? Is there any reason to be soft peddling it? No, there's absolutely no reason. We should be doing everything we can do now, every sanction we can think of. You know, even the Germans are saying, yeah, maybe we're going to delay the Nord Stream pipeline for a year or more. Uh, we're not doing any of that stuff. We're going to do some sanctions on some Russian banks. What we ought to be doing is taking them out of the SWIFT consortium so no Russian bank could clear a transaction around the world. But nothing is being done like that. So we could do a lot more. We should do a lot more. And, you know, this this whole business of, well, it's it, what does Biden say? Uh, something to the effect of, well, this is a terrible violation of international law. Uh, yeah, so? Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it does sound sort of quaint to criticize something by calling it a violation of international law. Um, I, I don't think we've ever had him adequately explain why um, we should, we the American people, should feel involvement in or with Russia and Ukraine. I mean, is there a good argument to be made that wasn't made today that you could make? No. Uh, you know, we talked about this the other night. I mean, the fact of the matter is we have no vital national security interest in Ukraine. We do not have a treaty with them like the NATO treaty. Okay. They are simply not a, an, a vital national security interest. Certainly, we want freedom for Ukraine. We should be sending them every sort of armaments that we can think of. Uh, and, you know, maybe sending them some more money. But the fact of the matter is to risk an American But why life, should we even do that if you're saying we don't, this isn't our, our deal? Well, we should do that simply because, number one, it would frustrate Vladimir Putin. And number two, uh, you know, it's basically our interest to help people who are free people stay free. You know, we stand for freedom, or at least we used to. So that's the reasons that I would cite, but that's the limit that I would make. I mean, I would not put an American soldier on the ground there. I don't know, unless we have a vital national security interest, I am not for risking the lives of American troops. Now, I noticed today, and this is so surreal, 
Hashtag Sudetenland is trending. Um, didn't see that one coming back into the national conversation, but people are saying that Putin's speech the other night where he rewrote a hundred years of history and talked about all these other former republics that really belong in the family, including the Baltic states, you know, that that was like Hitler annexing parts of Czechoslovakia, et cetera, et cetera. Is that an apt historical comparison? It's semi-apt. I think, uh, you know, number one, Putin is a lot smarter than Hitler was. Uh, he has hegemonic ambitions, but I don't believe, at least at this stage, they go for the entire world. Uh, he is, you know, Putin is not going to attack a NATO nation uh, because he knows the result would be devastating for Russia. So it's it's a little bit like that. It's a little bit, you know, you can you can talk about Biden being you know, analogous to Neville Chamberlain in uh, Munich in 1938. I don't think the analogy is very good because I think the threats are much different. They're coming from different directions. And, you know, our, our adversary is a much, much different critter. Well, I don't think it's very kind to Neville Chamberlain either. But uh, <laughs> what about the what about the argument? I've heard people say, and you know more about this than I do, but I've heard people say there really isn't NATO unity, and you can tell the old Europe from the new Europe, and uh, you can really see it in this current, uh, you know, situation. The new Europe, the newer NATO members uh, perceive this very differently than old Europe does. Is that true? Oh, I think that's very true. And, you know, the principal reason for that is the uh, new members of NATO used to be Soviet satellites. Right, right. You know, there is I mean, a memory. Yeah, a mem yeah the, the, there's a memory there that says, holy blank, blank, we don't want to get back into this. So they're willing to fight. They're willing to die. And, you know, we need to support them because we have a treaty obligation uh, that would compel us to do so. So, you know, it's really different. Old Europe, I mean, Germany, France, I mean, seriously. These guys are never going to stand up for themselves. You know, Germany is basically dependent on Russian gas already. So is France. And, you know, they're not going to be they're not going to be standing up for anybody's freedom, even their own. Well, that's what you 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 kind of reminded me of this several times. The president today made the point of NATO is unified. We've checked with everybody. I've <laughs> talked to them. But that's that may be true today. But today's the easiest day of this whole thing. Right. Well, it's not even true today. I mean, we know that. I mean, the, the, the Germans prevented Estonia from sending to Ukraine uh, armaments that were manufactured in Germany because they didn't want to anger the Russians. Mm -hmm. So Germany is part of what's dividing NATO. Uh, France, you know, they, they, neither of those nations has lived up to their obligations to spend on their own defense. Uh, these people are divided from us. Uh, you know, frankly, the French don't like us a whole lot. Well, yeah, well, they never have. But in any event, you know, the fact of the matter is we are not going to be able to depend on them. They are not investing in their own defense to help us help them. So, so if you're right about that, then why would Putin stop with Ukraine? He ought, to, he ought to go for the Baltic states. I mean, what you're saying is it, when push came to shove, NATO really wouldn't defend them. NATO probably wouldn't, but we would. And I think even though we've got a woke military that is really not very intimidating to anybody, uh, I think we could still do a whole hell of a lot of damage. Uh, and Putin does not want to start that big a war um, when he doesn't need to. I mean, frankly, he can go and take continual chunks of Ukraine every six months, and he can undermine the government in Poland, undermine the government in Hungary. He can do all of those things without us really becoming involved in a very big war. You know, this may be another version of the Thirty Years' War. You know, Putin may not be around uh, when it's uh, when it's over. 
you know, this is the kind of thing that is going to go on because this is what Russia does. Russia, since the time of Peter the Great, has been an expansionist power, has been a colonialist power, and has not been interested in anybody else's freedom. This is what they do. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up Peter the Great, too, because they also have a long tradition of telling their people that the rest of the world is a scary place that yeah. hates us, and we, are, we cannot be friends with them. Well, and think about this. <clears throat> I'm informed that a very large portrait of Peter the Great hangs in Putin's office. Oh. He's, he's an admirer of Peter the Great, and that's part of his thinking. He's not, a, he's not a European. He's not an Asian. He's someone who thinks in grand terms yeah. and wants to restore the old Soviet empire as fast as he can. Jed Babin, read him in The American Spectator, and uh, catch him long after his workout here on KTSA. <laughs> Good to talk to you, Jed. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. This is the beginning of a Russian invasion of Ukraine, as he indicated and asked permission to be able to do from his Duma. So let's begin to, uh, so I, I'm going to begin to impose sanctions in response far beyond the steps we and our allies and partners implemented in 2014. And if Russia goes further with this invasion, we stand prepared to go further as with sanctions. Who in the Lord's name does Putin think gives him the right to declare new so-called countries on territory that belong to his neighbors? Okay. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was the big heavy hitting. We're going to knock it out of the park. We're going to unite the country. Cold War is on. What did you think? 210-599-5555. Getting your thoughts about what you would do about Putin and Ukraine, if you would do anything. Maybe your answer is, I don't think we need to do anything. But a lot of people want to they, they want to respond, and they have their ideas about what they would do or how far they would go. How far would you go? 210-599-5555. Has cancel culture already peaked? Uh, Jack, I think you're rushing it. I, I don't think we're there yet. I, I think the dam is cracking. I really do. I think you're starting to see the limits of what the, the cancel mobs can get. And the first brick wall they've run into is, to the surprise of no one, money. If you're worth a lot to your organization, you can survive the cancel culture. And it works the other way, too. All of the wokeism of the NBA and sports leagues toward China and this whole embarrassing spectacle of the recent Beijing Olympics, that was all money, too. Money talks. There's a reason that's a saying. You know? So what do you think? Is cancel culture, has it already passed its peak insanity? Now, you may have heard this story. We, we brought it up briefly yesterday. There was an incident at a college basketball game on Sunday. Michigan and Wisconsin, who are big-time rivals, uh, played a game that was pretty embarrassing for Michigan. They, they, got, they got creamed. And at the end of the game, there was a heated exchange during the handshake line, first between the two head coaches, and then it turned into a brawl involving uh, assistant coaches and team members and staff and what have you. And they've now uh, suspended Juwan Howard, the head coach for the Michigan Wolverines, for the rest of the regular year. Then they started talking about, well, maybe we shouldn't have the post-game ritual 
of the two teams, and this is, by the way, in basketball and in football, there's the, the post-game ritual where the teams line up, walk past each other, file past each other, shake hands, tap fists, high-five, low-five, whatever, pat each other on the shoulder. It's just a thing. It's not in the rule book. You know, it's just a thing. And so some genius said, well, you know, we just shouldn't have that anymore. Then this wouldn't have happened. Are you kidding me? That, that's the answer? That's, that's what we should do. Because Jawan Howard couldn't restrain himself? Because he forgot that he's supposed to be teaching and setting an example? And I'm not, look, I'm not running the guy down. He's, he's a good coach. He was a great player. He's done pretty well at Michigan, better than I thought he would, frankly. Got them to the Elite Eight. But, you know, yeah, he, he needs to get spanked for this, and he's getting spanked for it, and that's right. This happened. There'll be, I don't know how many college basketball games will get played tonight. There will be the handshake line at every one of them. It'll be fine. It, it will go fine. It will happen at football games. It will happen in high school. It will happen in middle school. It will happen in CYO. Will happen in Little League. I think it's hilarious that, oh, maybe we should just stop having that. In fact, they asked uh, Tom Izzo, the head coach at Michigan State, and he he's normally a pretty um, apolitical guy. He flipped out. He said that would be a farce, a joke, most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. He said we've already taught these poor eighteen-year-olds that when you're told to go to class and you don't like it, you can leave. We've already told these kids, if you're not happy, you can do something else. We've already told these kids it's hard to hold them accountable. And now we're going to tell them not to man up and walk down a line and somebody who's kicked your butt and have enough class to shake their hand? Good for him. I hope that's not even seriously under consideration, right? 210-599-5555. So tell me what you think, and we're asking you about the cancel culture on our JR poll powered by Stevens Roofing. John is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Hi, John. Hey, Jack. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I just wanted to, I just wanted to point out that uh, uh, your analogy of the dam cracking is so awesome. But and there's nobody, there's no little guy to stick his thumb in there to hold the waters back. <laughs> That's right. Well, one of one of the things that I was thinking about listening to you talk about that was another uh, idea of why the dam is cracking is these beloved parents that are just pulling their britches up and walking into these board meetings at yes. these uh, these uh, school boards and standing up against the woke culture that's yeah. pretty much all i had to say other than yeah. jack riccardi rules and ktsa is the oh. best station in san antonio <laughs> oh you're you're very nice john thank you i appreciate that and yeah i agree with you i think that's a great a great point about the parents and and it's it's high time uh parents are needed in this battle and they're joining it the last several days have brought us all too many moments from canada the streets of Canadian cities, like this moment right here. Now, I just want to get a coffee, okay? Yes. Can I get a coffee? Why is the in my face right now? Are you, you here partaking? You walked right up now, to you're me. In the red zone? I'm scared. I want to go for a coffee down there. Okay. Can I? Can you, I go for a coffee? Still being arrested Pardon? right now. Do you now? live in this? 
No, I don't live here, but I, I'm... Where do you live? Alberta. Time for you to leave. I can't even go down there for nope. coffee. Nope. Go grab You're yourself in the red leave. zone right now. If you don't leave right now, you will be arrested. Do you understand me? I can't go for a coffee. Grab your stuff, because if we see you, we'll be patrolling all day. If we see you again, it'll be different. Leave. Take your camera and get out of here. Do you understand that? I'm walking away. Walk away. Your phone doesn't need to be in our face when you're walking away. Go. Are you going to walk or are you going to get arrested? I was walking away. Get out of here. Oh, my goodness. Hope you can go to sleep at night. You know, having grown up in New England and having visited Canada very casually in the days when you could just drive across the border and maybe, if anything, you had to show your driver's license, um, it is incredible to see this happening. Our next guest is an attorney representing Canadian citizens who are having these surreal encounters. Uh, David Anber is on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Mr. Anber, good evening to you. Thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me. I um I don't even know where to begin. I, I it, it is this is not the Canada I ever thought we would see. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Things have gotten pretty bad recently. Over the last 3 days the police have been out of control in Ottawa. Now I know that there had been some concerns at the border in various places in Canada where trade had been stopped for some time. And so that was one of the priorities for a little while. But those all got cleared out. And once those were all cleared out, then Prime Minister Trudeau invoked the Emergency Act and gave the police a whole bunch of new powers. And you know what? They they have some new powers. But they weren't given unlimited powers. And that's what we've been seeing going on for the last couple days. The um, encounters that people are having... um are interesting because uh, I keep thinking, how would that play out in America? And I I have to be honest with you, it seems like, to use that example, and there was another viral video of some people in, I think, a restaurant or a coffee shop that wouldn't open the door. I think those may be your clients as well, right? Well, the people at the restaurant have uh, have been trying to reach out. We have not connected yet, but I'm I'm interested in helping them out. Yeah. What we believe at this point, um, I'm not 100% sure at this point, but what we believe is actually one of the officers, Officer Jones, who was involved in harassing the people in the coffee shop, he was obviously angry that they weren't letting him in. And he walked down the street, which is when the second encounter, the one that you played uh, just before I came on, mm-hmm. uh, occurred. And he was obviously in a bad mood says, why are you putting that camera in my face when you can see the video? He walks up to her. And mm-hmm. but police for a long time have not loved the idea that there aren't any real restrictions other than someone who gets physically too close to an investigation, but there aren't otherwise restrictions on recording an officer. That's been a bit of a, a bone of contention for some time. And now we see where the police feel that there's nothing really that's restraining their actions, that they can basically do whatever they feel is necessary to enforce uh, the terms of the Emergency Act, which isn't the case. They, they do have limits to what they could do, but that's when you see something like this happen, where he was physically assaultive to her. He was threatening her that she had to leave or be arrested when she wasn't participating in an unlawful assembly. She wasn't in an area that was restricted, even though the police like to say that it was a restricted area that was not a restricted area. 
I, I guess my question is, is this changing the attitude of not not the people that are literally involved in the incidents, but I'm sure Canadians are seeing this on their screens. Is it changing the way they view their national or federal government? Uh, it is. Um, the The protest that was taking place had, uh, had had a lot of unification going on. Canadians of all stripes were supporting the protesters, but uh, over time, especially with the way some of it was being portrayed, some of the public support went down, and yet the Prime Minister's response did not result in a correlation of support going up for him. In fact, he still remains quite unpopular, although there is still a minority of Canadians who support the way he has been handling this. Mm-hmm. I guess I just wonder if it's going to have a long-term, you know, is it going to leave a mark, basically, on the culture, or is it going to be one of those things that's transitory, you get a new Prime Minister... Uh, and and you know you move on because it feels like a moment that will leave a mark. Well, I, I think it will to a certain degree. I mean, I saw I saw a picture that somebody had posted on social media saying with a picture of the protesters on one side and a picture of the police officers on the other side, saying forty years from now, referring to the protesters, they'll be telling their grandchildren uh, where they were, and forty years from now, referring to the officers, they'll be they'll be lying about it. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very embarrassing the way things have been going on. Now, I remain eternally optimistic that once all the dust settles, we can have a conversation. You know, you asked the question earlier about what if this had gone on in the United States. And I think one awakening that we're having is that in some regards, our Charter of Rights, which is the equivalent of, of your Bill of Rights, does not necessarily have the teeth to enforce itself when the times call for it. I mean, right. constitutional rights are meant for tough times, not when things are easy. When things get difficult, that's when these rights are supposed to kick in to make sure right. that government still, despite the, the pressures of the day, uh, maintains certain limits as to what they're able to do. So I guess the, I agree with what you just said, and we, we had talked earlier about the difference between the government granting rights, as it does in the Charter, and recognizing that the rights already existed, which is the case in the Bill of Rights. But um, I guess the big question is, will this make Canadians more compliant and obedient next time because they'll think, oh, this was just ugly and we don't want to ever have this happen again? Or will this make it harder for the next Justin Trudeau, and we know there will be one, to try to again invoke some emergency powers? Well, it's kind of hard to say because, I mean, we're experiencing to a certain degree something that you're experiencing is that the nation is becoming, in some regards, polarized. There are two groups of people with two different realities of what is going on. Two, two different people could look at the protest that took place in Ottawa and, and take very different things out of what they saw going on. And so as we move forward, there are going to be lots of Canadians who are going to rally around uh, the, the politicians who want to seek to prevent this from happening yeah. again in the future. But there's also going to be a group of Canadians who, who consider the people who are protesting, despite them being of all races, all ethnicities, all religions, political stripes, calling it an alt-right protest. You know, so there's this group of people who, who follow a lot of the uh, posturing that the Prime Minister does, referring to them as a fringe minority, referring to them as racist and misogynist. So there's 
a group of Canadians that sort of rally behind that tribalistic view. But I'm hoping that with the new Conservative Party leader, uh, who will be elected in the near future, and also with the uh, with the People's Party, Maxime Bernier, who's been who's been the only conser- the truly conservative alternative during the past couple of years. That between those two parties, we can see uh, some pushback against uh, the federal Liberals. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I have a lot more questions. If you can come back again sometime, I would love to get into more of this with you, uh, David Amber. Keep up the good work, and thank you for making time for us today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and have me back anytime. All right, very good. News 4 investigative reporter Jay Avila has a story tonight that um, may make it hard for you to go to bed after the news. You may have to stay up for a while, you know, hang out with Jimmy Fallon, cool yourself down. Uh, he's on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line right now. And, Jay, this concerns um, – and, by the way, w- welcome. It's great to have you. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of your work, so thank you for making time for us. Um, but this concerns guys. something called the Texas Organizing Project and the Bear County Jail. What is the Texas Organizing Project? Well, it is a group that believes in uh, bail reform. It focuses on bail reform. It's one of the one of the groups that was behind the defund the police uh, movement last year. They're mm. focusing on bail reform now. Um, basically, they believe cash bail discriminates against the poor, and that inmates should be released on little to no bond if they pose uh, little risk to society. And um, these uh, bail reform groups have um, put a lot of money into um, district attorney races in cities across the country, of course, including here in San Antonio uh, with uh, District Attorney uh, Joe Gonzalez. And so um, what we wanted to look at was exactly what's happening at the Bear County Jail now since um, this group, Texas Organizing Project, does have the cooperation of uh, of the county, and we found out that they're actually getting their list of people to who bond, who to bond out every week from county employees. Now, is this a common practice? Could a bail bonds company get something like that, or do they? Uh, no, there was um, there has been discussion in the past because of all the pressure to um, reduce the the population at the jail, of course. There's been discussion with bail bond businesses, uh, but they never they don't receive this kind of um, help in doing it. And one thing that that uh, concerns them also is that um, is that when there's the motivation for someone to show up in court is that they've got the bail bondsmen and probably family members who put up money for them to to make their court date. Um, Mm -hmm. But with uh, with top, there's not that motivation there because, um, first of all, they're they're bonding people out and they're they're gone. They're in the wind. And they often don't show up at their uh, court hearing. And when they don't, the bail is not forfeited like it would be with um, a bail bond agency, uh, because the county actually represents top at that hearing over the um, over the uh, bond money that is supposed to be forfeited. And so they're represented by the public defender uh, from Bayer County. So there, there's a lot of cooperation there. We all yeah. knew that there was a lot of um, uh, campaign contributions and whatnot involved for um, for the district attorney's race. So we looked into that. Um, a lot of money spent um, here in this local race, uh, well, since 2018, um, by uh, pro uh, bail reform groups. And this top group did a lot of you know on the ground type uh, campaign work, in kind contributions for both the sheriff and the DA. 
So who actually has to make the decision or give them this special access? Is it is it the Bear County DA's office? Is it the sheriff? It's several departments, actually. Um, there is actually a department of the county that's neither the sheriff's office or, nor the, uh, the district attorney's office. It's the criminal justice office of, of the county that actually provides the list of people. But then you, you have also the, the district attorney's office um, comes into play when they have the uh, bail reduction, reduction hearings or when they're recommending to the judge on what to set as the bail or, or whether to set a bail. And uh, so the DA comes into play there. And then, of course, with the sheriff's office, you have um, a lot of um, help in terms of when it comes to actually going into and, and, uh, and bailing people out, working with actual deputies and getting that process done. Well, this sounds like a great story coming up on the news tonight at 10 on News 4 with uh, Jay Avila. And uh, are you going to be doing follow-ups on this? Is it a one-time story or is it something that you'll be back to? Well, it will be because we found, you know, just in the records that we were able to look at, um, we found, you know, situations where some of them had extensive criminal records and a history of not showing up to court, and yet they were still bonded out as being low risk. That's going to continue to be an issue. Yeah. Jay, thank you for coming on with us and, and uh, sharing this, and uh, be looking forward to seeing that report tonight at 10 on News 4 San Antonio. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jack. All right, we'll talk to you. Everyone has, everyone else has done it, so I'll say it. It's two twenty-two, twenty-two. Big deal, you know. Tell me when we're having like a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse. I'm interested in that stuff, but like little tricks with the date. I don't know. And, and what do they call it when it's the same backwards and forwards? I don't know. They call it a they call it a news story, I guess. So anyway. Um, we're asking you kind of an interesting, maybe off-the-wall off question on the JR poll tonight. Um, do you think cancel culture has already peaked? And I think it's, what's got me thinking this is seeing Netflix announce a new deal with Dave Chappelle. At one point, it looked like Dave Chappelle and Netflix were going to have to break up. Remember, the Netflix people were all, they're, you know... Undies were in a wad, and they weren't going to come to work. And I'm not even exactly sure, like, what that means. I mean, I turn on Netflix, it's there. I don't know that there's somebody working to make that happen. But anyway, um, and, and you know, and Dave, Dave Chappelle was kind of angry at them, felt that maybe they had stabbed him in the back. Uh, but now they're doing a bunch more specials, and they've announced a long-term relationship. You've got Joe Rogan and the whole effort to go after him. And if anything, it's 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 garnered him a much bigger audience, much more name recognition. Way more people now know who he is and what he does and how to how to listen to him than than knew it before. And that's one of the things about the cancel culture. They they walk on a knife's edge because if they don't succeed in canceling you, they often succeed in making you more famous. But I I feel like we are seeing the 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 you know. The cracks in the dam of this mentality that says we're tearing you down, we're canceling you. There, you can't have, you can't be in the public square. You can't be part of society. And once a dam starts cracking, that dam is failing. So, do you think the cancel culture has has already peaked? It's, I'm not saying it's over. 
And I'm not saying there won't be many more efforts to cancel people and, and many more battles. Some of them will be won and some of them will be lost. But, but I think we're going to look back and say that in the spring of 2022, the tide began to turn. Tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. President Biden spoke this afternoon. He gave basically a two-part talk. It was not very strong. It seemed very, he seemed very distracted and like he had never read the, the speech he was delivering before he was squinting at it on the teleprompter. Part one was, here are some things we're going to unleash on Putin because he's invading Ukraine. Part two was, just so you know, we are right to do this and it's justified, but it's going to be hard. And I'll do everything I can to blunt the cost of it, but you're going you're gonna to feel some of this pain. So he didn't, really, he didn't really just announce sanctions on Russia. He really announced them on you. Now, of course, the irony here is that this is Joe Biden talking more about rising gas prices than he ever has. But he's got a new boogeyman. He's got a new hook to hang the blame on. These aren't Joe Biden's prices. You've seen those uh, on the Internet, right? Or maybe you've actually seen them at a gas pump. There are these decals you can buy, and it's a it's a decal of, of President Biden making a funny face and pointing. And people put them next to the price window on the pump, and it says something like, I did that. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if now there'll be Putin faces on gas pumps. Because now the whole line from this administration is going to be if there's greater inflation, if there's worse numbers next month or the month after, if gas prices go to $6 a gallon or $7 a gallon. Well, you know, this is the price of freedom. As we respond, my administration is using every tool at our disposal to protect American businesses and consumers from rising prices at the pump. As I said last week, defending freedom will have cost for mm. us as well and here at home. So uh, how do you feel about that? 210-599-5555. If you were fixing Russia-Ukraine, what would you do? How would you fix it? Uh, sanctions? Something else? Wouldn't get involved? None of our business? 210-599-5555. You know, I do get the whole, um, well, we support other democracies and we support other nations' right to self-determination. You and I can have that discussion, and I respect that. It is aggravating to hear politicians who do not respect our borders, our borders, tell us that we have to pay a price because they have so much respect for another nation's borders. And to hear our politicians talk about how important the sovereignty of another country is, or the rights of people in another country are. I mean, you and I can talk that way, but how dare they talk that way with the disrespect they show to us? And that's why I think they are not reading the room, to use the overused expression. See, in the past, an American president could say, we're all in this together, or 
could say, hey, democracies have to stick together, or we have to stand for freedom, we fought for ours, we have to help others. But see, I don't think they can, with a straight face, turn and, and look at the American people in the eye in 2022. I don't think most of them can, can give that talk, can make that pitch. Do you? Because in yesteryear, we looked at our country and we said, well, yeah, we, we are a free people. Okay. But I think increasingly we, we now look at politicians as obstacles to our freedom, threats to our freedom. In fact, the whole notion that the enemy, quote-unquote, is some other country is, I think, changing. It's falling apart. It's, it's degrading. So for most of Joe Biden's life, He's watched other people be president and talk about whether it was, you know, Hitler or Imperial Japan or the Soviet Union or Red China or the Sandinistas or whoever. Most of his life, he's watched other presidents define a foreign enemy, a foreign adversary to the American people. Who's the threat to your freedom right now? Is it some other country? Well, it might be. But the most immediate threat to your freedom right now, sad to say, are people you elected who don't color within the lines, who don't think they're limited by laws and rule of law, who think they can make stuff up as they go along, who are extending emergencies even now on COVID, the the new mayor of New York, who I had high hopes for, Eric Adams. When he was running, he made some noises like he didn't believe in vax and mask mandates. Now he says he's going to stick with vaccine mandates despite the body of evidence that suggests they don't work. He says he's aware of that. He has some regrets. But if he was to end the vaccine mandates in his city, it would cause confusion. He doesn't want to send mixed messages. Remember yesterday we told you CDC isn't telling you what it knows about COVID because it would be a mixed message. Well, the only message they'd be mixing is the one they've been hammering at these last two years. Yeah, the, the facts are a mixed message. The facts about booster shots, masks, definitely a mixed message message but see they can't have mixed messages because they told us it was black and white it was life and death if you're vaccinated you're good if you're not you're bad you're going to die you're going to kill other people and now that that's not that's provably not true here's a new guy fresh face just got here Saying, well, we're just, we're, we're just going to keep the, the mandates for city workers because it would send a mixed message if we lifted them. Now, how are you going to, when people have been living like this for two years, how are you going to tell them that the thing they really need to be worried about is Vladimir Putin on the border with Ukraine? Do that one for me. Um, they're putting the capital fence, fences, fencing back up. 
uh, because uh, in addition to National Pancake Day, next uh, Tuesday is also President Biden's State of the Union address. And so Capitol Police uh, have a plan, and um, apparently fencing is going to be part of the plan. This will sound weird, but just hear me out for a second and then tell me what you think. And if you want to say it's weird, Jack, you're weird. That's okay, you can say it. I think they want something to happen. I think they need something to happen. I don't see any indication that there's going to be a trucker thing at the Capitol. I think we'd already know. Maybe I'm maybe I am wrong and it's going to happen, but I don't th- I think they want something to happen. I think putting up the fencing and announcing you're going to do that is almost like not daring, but sort of like inviting in a passive aggressive way. Because you got to figure that every um, robust, vociferous expression of opinion is now denounced as insurrection, revolution, violence, hate speech. And when they can start throwing those things around, then they really get up on their their high horse, and it's off to the races. When they don't have that, when they can't put up fencing and declare emergencies and talk about insurrections, then it becomes painfully apparent that they're not able to do or they're not doing their actual job. So when you pay $4, $5, $6 at the pump, they're not doing their actual job. So we need another distraction. Ukraine, yeah, that's one of them. But I'm telling you, I I really think they need something crazy or uh, demonstrative to happen next week. I I don't think it is. I don't think it's going to. The president will give his State of the Union speech. And um, one of the things that presidents do at State of the Union speeches is talk about the promises they've kept and make a bunch more. Every president does it. But they're going to have, according to the sergeant-at-arms of the House, um, extensive coronavirus safety measures in place, mandatory N95 mask wearing, mandatory negative COVID-19 test, no guests, Um, all attendees will need a PCR test within one day of the event, vaccine booster strongly recommended, I'm just reading the list here, no guest tickets. Now, remember when President Biden, or then-candidate Biden, said, I will shut down the virus, not the country? Isn't all of this proof that he didn't do that? And what is the, how does this look to you? I mean, you're you're going places, you're going into stores, you're going to work. Maybe you're not wearing a mask anymore. Maybe most people are not wearing them anymore. 
The Super Bowl was just played with an entirely packed stadium, no masks, hardly any. We've had entire seasons of college football, college basketball, etc. What is the deal here? And some people think it's to protect President Biden because he's elderly. They've got to make sure he doesn't get COVID. It's not just him, of course. Speaker Pelosi, they're all, you know, (laughs) they're all getting up there. Is that it? Is it virtue signaling? I mean, aren't they stepping on their own message with this incredibly controlled, super careful, over-the-top precautions State of the Union. In other words, before he ever says a word, the message is going to be, visually, this virus is not under control. We don't have this. Now, I guarantee you, I mean, I promise you, the speech will be about how great his COVID policies have been, and we've beaten it, and we've, you know, got it on the run. But that's not what the visuals are going to say. I will tell you, and I'm, I'm not saying this because it's Joe Biden, my least favorite thing to do as a radio talk show host in, in any given year is have to sit through the State of the Union speech. And you have to because you're going to talk about it or something's going to get said, and you can't count on the summations and recaps the next day. So you sit there with a pad, a legal pad, and... It's like watching paint dry. Even when it's a president you voted for or you support, it's just, it, it, they're rough. And no one has ever said in the history of the State of the Union speech, no one has ever said, that's it? It's, ar- it's already over? Maybe this will be the year. First time for everything. Thirty-six on five fifty and one zero seven one KTSA. Jack Riccardi coming up. We're going to find out how you voted on this question. Do you think cancel culture has already peaked? Not that it's over, but is it is it starting to, you know, fade, deteriorate, crack up a little? Uh, because you're starting to see people withstand the the. The maelstrom. And, you know, for a while there, they were bagging every single person, thing, name they they targeted. They were getting them all. And everybody was caving and kneeling, and it's starting to break up a little. Still got a ways to go. 210-599-5555. How would you answer that? Has cancel culture already peaked? Um, last month, a contestant on Jeopardy named Amy Schneider had a pretty impressive winning streak. And it got a little more attention than it might normally have because Amy Schneider is a trans woman. 
The Babylon Bee, a satirical news site, had a little fun with it. They did a story with the headline, Trans Woman Breaks Jeopardy Record, Proving Once Again That Men Are Smarter Than Women. You get it? They shared their headline to the Babylon Bee Facebook page. Facebook took it down (laughs) because it was hate speech. Satire is hate speech. You know what they say about comedy, though? And I didn't say this. I didn't originate it. But it's a, it's a, I think it's a true saying. I believe it. There is always a nucleus or a kernel of truth in comedy. So, you know, even the most outlandish, you know, if you watched, like, Curb Your Enthusiasm or Seinfeld or any, any outlandish sitcom, you know, there'll be these, there'll be these bizarre, over-the-top situations, and you think, oh, my, how could that ever... But there's always a... What makes it work is that there's always a little bit of it that could happen or might have happened, or I had something like that happen one time, right? That's, that's the truth of a a comedy. It's a way of pointing things out or shining a light. This might be the biggest lie anyone's ever told. The other day, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's you know, when it comes to lying, if, if lying was in the Olympics, she'd be the captain of our team. Let's face it, right? They'd have little sweatsuits. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren the other day uh, said that Elon Musk paid zero taxes. She was on one of her rants. You know how she gets where she's all like Gumby with her arms and legs going every which way. It's like, he's one of the richest people in the world. He pays zero taxes. You know how much he pays? He pays zero. And she's, you know, obviously very concerned about working people because she's Elizabeth Warren. She has favorite cheese shops. Um, Elon Musk actually paid the largest tax bill in the history of the IRS last year. He tweeted... I'll visit the IRS the next time I'm in D.C. just to say hi, since I paid the most taxes ever in history for an individual. Maybe I can have a cookie or something. But there's another part of this story that I find interesting, and nobody brought this up. So people had fun with Elizabeth Warren told this whopper. Elon Musk had this little, you know, zinger. But have you noticed how often politicians like Elizabeth Warren seem to know or claim to know the personal income tax data of private individuals. Remember back when Romney was running for president, Harry Reid, who was at the time the Senate Majority Leader, said he he doesn't pay any taxes, he hasn't paid taxes in years. No one ever asks the question, where would politicians be getting that information? How are they getting access to that information? Well, I think they're pulling it out of their butt, but let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that that they know something or they've seen something. Because they've been pushing this for years. Rich people don't pay any taxes or don't pay enough. How do you know? Well, we know because we 
Oh, yeah. How do you know? Is the IRS giving some politicians a peek? Slipping them some notes? <laughs> How exactly is that working? By the way, Elon Musk paid $11 billion in taxes. But, yeah, I think a good question sometime would be when, when somebody gets on one of these rants, how exactly are you getting that information? You're not supposed to know that. You're not supposed to be telling you that. It's not that's not publicly available information. So we've been talking about cancel culture, and I came across this interview with a member of the Finnish Parliament, so the Parliament of Finland, and she's a. Um, Politician, but she's also a person of deep Christian faith. Recently, she's been on trial. The charge is what they call ethnic agitation because she put out a pamphlet in 2004 and then later tweeted a picture of the Bible. She was disagreeing with her church sponsoring an LGBTQ pride event. And so she's actually facing prison time, if convicted. I want to play you what she says about what's happening to her in an enlightened, Western-style democracy for speaking her religious views. Take a listen to this, cut number one. In fact, Prosecutor General, she has said, in public, that if Päivi Rasanen is convicted, is it is still allowed uh, to have Bibles in the libraries and to have debates and discussions about the Bible and even to cite the Bible. But what is forbidden is to agree with the Bible. And at the same time, she compared the Bible to Mein Kampf and said that they are, they have this kind of uh, hate speech. So you 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 can't um, you 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 are allowed in your mind to agree with the Bible, you but you can't uh, state it publicly. So I, I think that it would be dangerous uh, for these uh, basic freedoms if I I am convicted. I would like to encourage uh, people now to use their freedoms, to use the right and freedom to speech and religion, because the more we are silent about these uh, issues, the, the narrower will be the space for the freedom of speech and religion. And that's why now it is the time for Christians to be open about their faith and and uh, tell openly about the message of the Bible and especially about uh, the message of the gospel. So when this story when this story hit the news, the main angle people took was, "Whoa, somebody compared the Bible to Mein Kampf, which was Hitler's uh, book." But I actually think what's more interesting is what she says about, again, in a, in a, what is considered an enlightened, modern, Western democracy, Finland, 
She says, you're allowed to have a Bible. You're allowed to talk about it. You're allowed to read or quote it. But you can't agree with it. So what is that really? What is that really? Can I just flip open a dictionary and spit out some words? And then she says, if people restrain themselves, the space gets narrower. Her English is labored. I know it's kind of difficult to maybe hear, but it's a great point. She's saying if you go along with this, it's like saying give them an inch, they'll take a mile, right? If you go along, next time there's less room, there's less space, there's less latitude. It's very interesting where the lessons are coming from these days. When I was a kid, the most poignant lessons about freedom were in places that didn't have any. Solzhenitsyn came from the Soviet Union. We saw the tanks in Tiananmen Square, Beijing. Today, the most important lessons and voices about freedom are in countries that are nominally the freest countries in the world. Canada, Finland, Britain. Oh, and one other. You know the thing! President Biden would say. On the JR poll, powered by Stevens Roofing, has cancel culture already peaked? Do you think cancel culture has already seen its best days, starting its slow, gradual descent? Uh, 65% say yes. They're hopeful. 35% no. Well, the new JR poll tomorrow. We get started at 4 on the radio, but you can find it anytime at KTSA.com. And in fact, you can find this show on demand and listen to it anytime, any day, in pieces, the whole thing, a week's, a week worth at a time. You can find it all at KTSA.com on the Jack Riccardi page. There was a really great story. We make a lot of jokes about Starbucks. I do. I'm. I'm a coffee drinker, and I, I do go to Starbucks, but we all have our Starbucks jokes, and we all have our our Starbucks um, mockery. But there was a story about the Starbucks in Corpus. Have you heard this? Oh, you got to hear this. This is a good. This is a good way to end our show tonight. So, there was a young woman named Brandy, who was in there in the in the Starbucks studying, and she was by herself. And I guess, from what people have said, a guy came up to her and was kind of crazy. She didn't know him. It was pretty obvious. And he was um, kind of carrying on and talking loudly and, you know, really bothering her. So one of the workers came over to the table and handed this young girl a drink and said, this is an extra hot chocolate. Somebody forgot to pick it up. That happens sometimes. They'll give you a free drink if they have one. They make one wrong or something. Um, on the cup, the employee had written a message that said, are you okay? Do you want us to intervene? If you do, just remove the lid off the cup. And she said when she looked up, all of the employees were watching her and ready to help. And, uh, of course, she was very touched. Her mother wound up telling this story to the television stations, and 
Her mother said that uh, her daughter's fine. She did not need the employees to intervene. She wrote on Facebook, How grateful I am for people who look out for other people. She said the whole team was watching over her the rest of the time she was there. She hopes that other businesses will train their workers to do the same thing. I don't know if they train people to do that at Starbucks. You know, we've, we've talked about this before. Pretty much everything that happens at Starbucks is very by design. They're an incredibly managed, consulted company. Even when they, you know, engage you in a little casual banter when they're handing you your drink, that's all part of the training. But I don't know if this is. I think this might just be people with good hearts. And uh, this story moved me because my daughter is just a shade younger. And that could very easily be her sitting in a Starbucks. That's what kids do. They, they take their laptop or they take their books. They do their studying, sometimes together, sometimes alone. You see it all the time. And uh, it's a great, great story, great example. We do take our shots at Starbucks, so got to um, give credit, right, where credit is due. I'll give them that. They did good there. Um, remember Jesse Smollett? Do you remember that whole deal? Seems like a million years ago. It was just, that was last year. But Jesse Smollett was, of course, the actor who fabricated the uh, racist hate crime attack hoax thing. And um, first everybody was on his side, and you poor thing, and then everybody, pretty much everybody turned on him. And it was very much all one way and then all the other. I was thinking about him recently when I was listening to some of the lies that politicians in this country or in Canada tell about protesters. There's a Canadian member of parliament who says that when truckers hit their horn twice, you know, honk the horn twice, that stands for Heil Hitler. Where, where is she getting that? How, how would she know that? How would anyone know that? But see, that's Jesse Smollett. Let's hope that eventually we're Jesse Smolletting <laughs> some of these people that are telling these ridiculous, racist, hate crime lies. We can hope, right? See you back here on the radio tomorrow at 4.